welcome back to another Ag Watchers. We have got uh, a wool stalwart on today. We've got Chick Olson. Chick, thanks for coming along. Can you just give us a quick, brief bio, as if as if you're on a dating app, to tell us, you know, who you are and what you do? Well, first, would not go on a dating app for a start. I just made that clear. The wife would probably castrate me, <laughs> so that's fair enough. But anyway, uh, you, you got you got to sell yourself to this chick. Come on. Yeah, I haven't got much to offer, guys, except uh, I'm a long-term farming advocate. I got involved in wool politics 15 years ago because I thought the wool leadership was absolutely crap. I still haven't changed my opinion on that. I think, <laughs> And still trying to get involved in it. <laughs> it's just because I've got so, many, so much business tied up in the sheep and cattle industry, like we've got factories and pharmaceuticals and sheep farms, you feel that you get so frustrated that you have to stand up and do something politically. You have to do it. Otherwise, there won't be changes made. So there is a sacrifice required. So that's what I am. I'm pretty much a pretty tragic wool politician who probably hasn't achieved a lot, but I'm just not giving up. But you're also, you've, also, you've, got quite, you've got quite a diverse background as well. You've got salts as well. Is that right? Yeah, my, my, my family runs salt. They do a whole bunch of salts for restaurants and for supermarkets. Um, my father runs uh, quite large salt mining enterprises on the East Coast down to South Australia. They produce about 50 to 100,000 tonnes a year of salt for the domestic market. So we're a mining agricultural based family. It's just, it's just like, so you, you, you were getting into agriculture before Twiggy and before Gina Reinhardt. You were uh, too <laughs> late, mate. Were they 60 years ago? People did it because I'm mad. And, and, and you're also you're an accomplished artist as well. As, as anyone who follows you on Twitter will see your, your artworks and, and, and your creative side getting expressed on the canvas. Well, accomplish is a very kind word, mate. Thank you. I think I've been, I think I've been emerging is the word. Like I feel like a caterpillar coming out of, out of, a, out of a tree at, at the best. And, and, you, and you're based in Sydney as well. So you've got yeah. plenty of time to practice your artwork whilst you're, whilst you're in the lockdown. Yeah, particularly at the moment, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't mind it. Like, I don't mind it. I think if, if you can't make the best out of a situation you have, you should go and buy a full-length mirror and have a good look at yourself. You should be able to say, well, okay, well, there's lockdown. Let's respect it. So what can I do? You can't tell me, as you, you gents said before, there's not 100 jobs around the house you shouldn't do. have been putting off for ages. Clean out the cupboard. Chuck out all the old shoes and clothes. Do things you should have done ages ago. So I don't it's, mind it. I don't that, mind that. it. Look, 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 we, we, we respect your opinion, Chick, but, you know, Matt and I are veteran lockdown people. We had that, we had, we had that, we had that same opinion on lockdown to maybe one to three, but when it gets to lockdown six, you start to run out of those jobs. You, you, start, you, you start, well, in my case, you actually start to go back to fix the jobs that you did in lockdown <laughs> one or two, you know, or, or finish that last 25% that you, you hadn't got around to do. Well, mate, we keep bunnies open for that reason, so... Yeah, well, and don't lose their minds. We still go and buy new tools. Yeah, well, well, that's that's the one thing. That I've, if you look at my my credit card bill over the last month, it's it is still Bunnings, Coles, and super cheap auto, and that's about it. So that's my, that's my life. The so, jobs never end on the farm, though. If you like, I've got forty acres here where I am now. Apart from the pig farm that Andrew and I own and operate, we uh, you know I've got plenty of jobs around the farm. That's a never-ending thing, and. You'd be the same chick with the farm you operate. You'd have plenty of stuff to do when you're out of Sydney, I guess, as well. Mm. 
Guys, I think I guess it's like you, you put your money where your mouth is. Where where like many people think there's a great future in sheep and beef. We've talked about for years about feeding the world and us being the supplier of the southern hemisphere, and it's happening now. You're seeing record lamb and sheep prices, and where it stops, no one knows. I think what the message is going to be how cheap our food has been for the last 20, 30 years in Australia. Why? Well, you go to Europe, you guys know how much it is to buy a steak in Scotland or England. It's two or three times as much as here. What, why do you think of living here, Chick? Maybe. You know, know, good move. Other, other than the weather. Uh, and, and look, we, we've, we've had my mother on the podcast before. <laughs> Uh, when she was talking she about, might make a, she might make a guest venture today as well, Andrew. If we're lucky, she if, if, she if we're lucky, she, she, she pops in and out when we've got to talk about the the, the motherland. But but yeah. but her point of view is that you know she's we're not from farming background, we're from a farming area though. But mm. my mother's point of view is that the free trade agreement between Australia and and the UK is is fantastic news if yeah. it can make lamb chops more affordable. Doesn't mean she'll ever be able to cook them properly, but at least you'll be able to afford them. So, so check, check you are, you started off talking about how you are uh, a wool politician, yeah? Mm. So you, you, you were on the, the AW, AW, I was going to say AWB board, the AWI board, yeah. you know, a couple of years ago? Yeah, 2008 to 2011. And you're glutton for punishment. You, you're putting your name down to, to get on the board again. You're putting your... Hat in the ring, your keys in the table, so to speak. Mm, I am. Why? Well, I think I'm obviously, obviously totally unhinged and I like punishment. So there's something about that. That's another conversation for after nine o'clock, I suppose. But uh, we, you get to a point where you think an organisation has, has improved. Like we got on the board, a whole bunch of businessmen, and we put in the the we just say the requirements to make it a better organisation. We, we got rid of a lot of staff. We increased cash flow. We put $120 million in the bank. We, we really set up programs to address these issues of millsing and farmers' rights overseas and defending what we thought was normal. We also engaged the Prince of Wales to help market our wool and to address climate change with wool, which we thought was the way the future was going to be. And then when we thought we had that in place, all the businessmen who accompanied me on the boards decided to go back and join the families and keep the businesses going that they'd sacrificed the time for three years for. And as soon as we stepped off the board, other likes of Lawrence Modiano, who's one of the biggest wool processors in the world, and Roger Fletcher, one of the biggest abattoirs in the world, yep. it went straight back to where it was when we got there. Immediately went back. And it's this question is like, can you ever improve these levy bodies? Is it ever going to happen? Or was the model so flawed to attract second-rate people? Maybe that's a cruel thing to say. Maybe people aren't commercial. I don't know. Don't care. It is, it is interesting because like we've, we've spoke to a number of people. We've got a lot of contacts through various sort of industry bodies and, and whatnot. And I guess one of the things is that there's, there's a lot of people complain about these bodies and stuff, yeah? Mm. But they don't necessarily put their hand up and, you know, it's all very well to complain about something. Mm. You actually have to take sort of direct action, mm. you know, to actually make a change. You, there's no point sort of, bearing in mind of my French, there's a person from outside of the tent. You might as well yeah. be inside the tent. And, and I think that's, that's, that's good what, what, you, what you're looking to do. And so, and so you're looking to take a, effectively, obviously we've mentioned before, you've got 
business interests across multiple different sectors, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as, a, as a mining and farming magnate. Uh, but with the, uh, but you're obviously looking to take a commercial approach to it. Uh, and, and that obviously does concern people, I guess. Yeah. Why, why, well, does look, that, why, why would that concern people? All right. So to declare interest, as you just said, I've got a lot tied up in the sheep and cattle industry, from factories to pharmaceuticals to sheep itself. If the sheep industry is doing well, we all do well. So you, you take a political approach, say, I'm going to get involved and try and turn the direction of this company around and use the levy for, for a better outcome for growers. And obviously, my ideas on what's good for growers is completely different to those people in there at the moment. For instance, I'll give you a very simple idea. Some of the people on AWI in the past think the future is investing all our marketing in the Italian suiting market. Great. That's great. But no one's told them that suiting is, is dying as, as fast as a fish on a beach. You know, yep. that's, you, people will not change their mindset. And this is the trouble with these boards. They're stuffed with old guys and old farmers who think they know this is what should have happened in the 50s. We're saying, no, this is, a, this is the 2020s. We should have young people here now. People with a finger on the pulse that know this is where we're going. The fact that, like, I was very much influenced by my kids to say, Dad, you, you, you might not believe in climate change as much as we do, but you've got to do something. The wool's a perfect fit. Yep. So, so we set up the Wool Carbon Alliance saying, let's get the best research and scientists behind why is wool good for this planet? And we had a committee going, inviting in welfare groups and scientists. And as soon as we left, the board shut it down. You know, just, so, just so insanity. You'd, so you'd set up that, that would be set up way back in the... 2009, late. we set up the Wool Carbon Alliance that we right. should, should address sustainability issues in the world that we so saw that, this in the future trend. But that was well ahead of the times. Well, mate, you know, there's enough science at the time to show that wool had a place on this planet with hemp and bamboo and cotton, tremendous natural fibres. It was just easy to fiber. see. This is yeah. where the, this the future was. Yeah, but, but, but a lot of the other industries are only just latching onto that now. Well, we had, to, we, had, we had some of the best researchers in the world come to us as a board and saying, guys, this is a proposition you, you should look at. This is where the future is going to be. And, and so, Chick, you're, you're, running, you're running now this year, but you also had a, had a go at it last year and that didn't work out as planned. Was there, are you finding that there's been some, some barriers and obstacles put in your way there unnecessarily, do you think? Or like what's, what's gone on last year and what's going on this year that are causing you hmm. a bit of consternation? Well, no, nothing surprises me, guys. So there's no shocks to me. It's just these people will make it as difficult as possible for me, people likes like me to get on that board because my job is to take people out of their comfort zone in business. That is, if you employ me to go into a company to fix it up, there are going to be casualties. And my advice to anyone in AWI who's listening to this podcast is get your CV out and polish it up, guys, because you get, you're really going to have a change of life very soon. End of story, guys. That's what shareholders want, right? If you've got a superannuation fund or you've got an investment, do you want to return? That's well, just the way of the world. And, that, and that's, that's the thing. We're effectively, rule producers who pay a levy are a shareholder in AWI. So, right. so you want a return back. Yeah. The, the best return possible. And it's no different to, to any business. You know, it, it's the, the best possible result to, to the shareholders, provided it's all above board and within the law, then it's all... It's all good, but there's, there always has been like talking about the carbon one. Like there's a lot of like Matt and I have looked at a lot of that sort of carbon research in times, mm. and there's a lot of you know it's hard to argue against wool 
from that point of view. And, and, it's, and it's really sort of a polarizing figure at the moment who has just, I noticed it on your Twitter account this, this morning, is uh, probably the most polarizing figure when it comes to climate change is, is uh, Greta Thunberg. Yeah. And, and it was interesting to see her. She's in this sort of the, the Nordic version of Vogue magazine front cover. And she's wearing head to toe wool. Which she just love her. Which, you know, she's probably just like, and we're going to another sort of, she, Greta is obviously a climate activist and, uh, and wool has its own challenges from activism. Oh. To have somebody like Greta, who, look, I imagine a whole bunch of people listening to the podcast will be thinking, you know, why would you support Greta? You know, blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, I'd rather have her backing the wool industry than not. Like she's got, you know, however many million followers around the world, and she is a is a force of change, regardless of what you think, where we agree with her or not. She has huge support around the world in an area that farming doesn't get to the millennials, the the the, the tickety talk generation. So, but then it comes to another point of view: is is how do we? And I know that you're you're pretty strong on this. Is mm. you've got a, one activist on the left hand side, you know, Greta, who's pro-climate change and against fast fashion mm. and and many people know that i'm a very fashionable person and <laughs> and uh, with my with my sort of uh, well, you vi- one of the leading proponents of the croc fashion um well they're, croc- they're, they're, they are made from fossil fuels but they are hard wearing and they last forever and and they are partly environmentally friendly so crocs are, are a good a good product but also i do wear a lot of wool matt as you know Mm-hmm. generally you know coarser sort of harris tweet but it is still wool it's not exactly merino but well, it's anyway great it's a great product harris tweet wonderful product beautiful and love it until you're in a stinking hot roasting day um in australia but i've digressed a little bit there oh. so you've got greta on one side uh, who's Pro wool because of its environmental capacity. It's mm. it's 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 slow clothing. It lasts forever. It's high quality. Then you've got on the other side of the picture, you have got this um, activism from the animal rights type of people who are mm. obviously mulesing is probably one of the most topical issues apart from live exports. But, mm. but mulesing is is a huge issue for for wool how do you manage to marry up greta who's a proponent now keep her on board keep prince charles on board but then you've also got this this musing issue how do we get around that well that's that's a that's a three billion dollar question isn't it that's that's the export value of the australian wool clip and yeah these are the discussions we had over the last 10 years with all of us about how we would cope with this and the first thing that we did with people like Roger Fletcher was one of the truly great industry leaders was at his abattoirs, he has an open door policy to animal, any animal welfare groups. You don't have to ring up. You can turn up and see how good his premises are. Well, he's just left alone. There's no story there. And my viewpoint with the Australian industry was, why are you hiding all this good work? It's not just millsing, we vaccinate, we fence, we take all the, we take care of our animals and we're not telling the story. Millsing is part of it. Now, we're very lucky. Um, as a family, we saw two elements. One was the extreme right of 
welfare group saying you've got to stop these operations. It's, it's untenable. And farmers saying, well, we can't. So we just thought, well, let's try and make this less painful. And we, we invested in a company called Animal Ethics that bought out a product called Trisulfan, which was the middle ground, we thought, that met both needs. Because you talked about uh, before about productivity, I think, or something like that, that we, we say this is not about animal rights. This is not about climate change. This is about increasing productivity. Well, we've had conversations with beef growers and, sh- and sheep people saying, you don't have to worry about the animal rights groups. You, they're never going to go away. But let's talk about productivity by using these new products. Yep. Our discussions with the beef industry is that, guys, you don't have to believe in climate change. You don't have to. If you improve your productivity, you produce less methane and your profits go up and you get paid by the Australian government. What's wrong with that? Well, I, and I think that's, that's that's a good way of looking at it because obviously the more productive you are, the less emissions you're producing per kilo of meat. Right. So right. that's Correct. that that makes sense. It's a good way of looking at it. But the, the other, other point, aspect, the other, I was just say, the other aspect is it doesn't matter if you if you believe it or not. Doesn't matter. It's if the consumer believes it. That's, that's exactly the point I was going to make, Andrew. Oh, um, two, yeah, peas, no, you, two peas in a pod, man. Well, I spoke I spoke at Longreach. Um, Oh, about a month or so ago, and made this as a point because obviously, you know, central Queensland, you get, um, you get a few um, particular types there with views around climate change and whether it's happening or it's not. And when you're in an ag- mm. agricultural setting, it it can become even more stark the views around um, climate change. But you know, I was kind of talking around the the future benefits both in the beef sector and the sheep meat sector, yep. being able to promote a product that comes from Australia, particularly in both of those sets, which are could be quite, um, you know, a, a, a carbon capturing, environmentally friendly product when you look at the, the practices that are happening in regenerative agriculture and that we're such a grass-fed nation for mm. the beef compared to America. So we've got a real opportunity globally to push that, to push environmental credentials and sheep meat's even more the case that it's got these high environmental credentials. I said, whether you believe in climate change or not, I go, it doesn't really matter. I'm not here to argue that point. But the fact that you can attach a premium to your product because it has these environmental credentials, which some people will pay for, um, you know, that it, then as far as I'm concerned, it's real because you, you're getting an economic benefit right. by, 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 you know, doing that. And it's not, it's not lip service. You actually are doing the right thing. Uh, but in doing that, like you're saying, chick on the production end, you're becoming more efficient, but then on the aftermarket, like the market end, you're also earning a premium, um, by doing this. So, so therefore it becomes a real thing, um, whether you believe it or not, you know, it's an economic thing. Well, why wouldn't you give your opportunity to your factory or your business or your farm to open up new markets? When you've got, you've got a chance to say to the world, this, if you're now carbon neutral on your farm, you open up all of Europe. And that's, and that's more and more becoming the case as well. Like there's, there's a lot of push for more organics in, in, right. in, in Europe, which look, I, I'm generally more so on grains. I'm generally opposed to organics from a point of view of, I think it's all very well to have organics to make a market premium, but it has to be also taken into account the fact that production does drop in organics. More so in, not maybe not so much in, in animal production, but definitely in grain production. If you, if, you, if you switch the world to grain production, you wouldn't feed the world. 
Right. Um, yep. And, and right. so I think places like Europe saying we have to be 25% organic by 2030 is, is all very well, but all that they're going to do is import from other countries around the world. That's so it's it's kind of lip service in my view, but but I, I agree with you guys that the, the reality is that by having more markets open, you open up new doors and and you open up opportunities for 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 extra revenue. And look, you don't have to believe in it, and and that's my point of view. You don't have to believe in everything you sell. We had this conversation, guys, on the board in two thousand and nine, after getting some of the best. PR marketing companies advise us in the direction of wool. And the climate, the climate change thing came up early on. And you can see the older guys on the board clearly not comfortable with it because you were you're talking about the Clintons and all those people that were associated with it, of course. And the younger directors on the board were trying to convince the older guys it didn't matter whether you believe it or not. There's 500 million consumers who want to buy carbon-friendly wool. If they, if they all bought one kilo, we wouldn't be able to keep up with the Australian wool production, guys. And they said, no, nah, it's just all bullshit, you know. You're going to jump a bit of the climate change nutters. It's going to ruin the whole industry. I was like, oh, God, we've got so far to go <laughs> to bring this industry in the 21st century. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to drag the industry into looking at these new objectives. You've got animal rights groups now strongly represented on the UN. They're the yeah. ones talking about getting rid of cattle. Well, as, you, as a way for companies to meet the, the Paris target, and that's and that's that's where it comes back to that better to be on the inside than ignoring it from the outside, yeah, and, and, and not affecting any change. One one of the major things, and and you sort of mentioned there about you know nothing's really changed all that much, or or, or in fact, in your opinion, it's probably gone backwards since the time that you and Roger Fletcher and Lawrence Modiano left the board. Mm. One of the big discussion points in wool. In, in in recent years has been around where the money goes to. Oh. Does it go to research and development? Because there's an argument that you know, you know, nothing's really changed in in research and development. You know, in terms of like harvesting the wool, like the only big change is the wider comb in the last hundred years, and you know, it's the same pack that can fit on the back of a camel. Is that's why we've got. X size of packs, that type of thing, versus marketing the product to the industry. Because as like I was at a presentation recently, and there was a, there was a lot of talk about how we've got to increase the sheep flock. And I'm sort of in two minds about whether you actually do have to increase the sheep flock, or whether the sheep flock at current levels is is sort of, you know, profitable and acceptable. And I guess from my point of view, is it is it about marketing, or is it about research? What is the what is the more viable place to stick for for a dollar going into the industry? Where should it be focused, in the marketing bucket or the research bucket? So, what you're talking about in normal terms of what sort of car should you drive? Should you drive a Holden Commodore across the paddock, or should you drive a Ute? And that's what a levy body's discussion is: is the current model suitable and working? Doesn't matter if it's research or marketing. Is the current model able to deliver something of value? To answer your question, over the last 10 years, $700 million has been spent in the wool industry on research and marketing. The flock has shrunk. Our markets for wool have shrunk. Merinos have not been that productive. So to answer your question, it has not worked. If you had $700 million and you invested it in property 10 years ago, they'd be worth probably about $1.5 1.5 billion. 
Yep. Right? So we should have just taken that levy money and put it into Sydney housing. Really, if you were economists. Or, or, or Western District Farms 12 months ago, and you'd have the same result. <laughs> so, so, right. So you have this, this opportunity, and most wool growers have just given up. They just count this levy now as a tax. They just can't see any benefit of it. They just throw their hands up and just say, oh, my God, it's just it's too hard to get involved. So the model that some of us are now considering is this. We have to employ draconian methods to reduce that model to a minimal of people that can interfere with commercial value. You've seen the wool board investing commercial wool selling platforms now, uh, which is wool, totally wool, against the wool queue, wool, which is totally queue. against mm. the charter. It's totally against the way we set up the levy, which the levy was to be invested in non in market value principles. That if the market's not doing it, let's invest in it. So you're seeing a company that has clearly lost its way. So the model is. It has to be completely virtually taken back to ground zero and build it again. Chick, is it is it just you that's running with these views, or have you got like even if you got in, say this, let's let's go project forward and and you you get in this time around. Um, is it enough with just one person with this view uh, to make it to make a difference, or have you got like minded people also, um, you know, supporting you? Well, I've got to get voted in first, guys. And I've, put my, uh, I've put my platform out there. And if they don't like it, I won't be voted in. But if I am voted in, it means there's a percentage of people who agrees with what my platform is. Now, you've got 30% of the industry that does not want to pay levy. Western Australians vote zero every year. They're sick of it. And increasingly, more people are doing so after the behaviour of the board over the last 10 years. There's, there is serious intent to say, should we actually merge AWI with MLA and have one sheep industry body that's purely about sheep? All is just, the idea of a standalone body is, is nonsense when sheep, meats and lamb is really the, the powerhouse of the sheep industry. And also the duplication that happens between organisations is crazy. We should be putting under one banner and, and saying, what can we do with it? So there are people that are very interested in what I'm saying now as to whether the message gets out, I don't know. But I can't see the current model really being sustained for much longer because it's just not working. Hmm. So in terms of so ongoing, yeah, so, so basically to, to reiterate it, it's a commercial model, cut the costs, but do more and be more productive in terms of what AWI does with its money. Because what, what is AWI's annual budget it's around about they, they get about 40 to 60 million a year right, so this this is how it works guys you, I, I should have said i finished it up i didn't think about it. so awe does everything itself it has 180 people they do wool marketing they do wool research they do product development they don't farm it out they think they are good enough to do it all themselves they spend the majority of their time trying to influence wool growers that they are the marketing, research, product development body. They send out beyond the bale every, every quarter trying to convince people how good they are. If you had to summarise what AWE is, it's a body that is designed to market to wool growers to get 2% levy. That's their main focus. It's not on talking to consumers or getting research organisations, but, hey, give us 2%. We're fantastic. I honestly chuck beyond the bale and bin every time I get it, because it's just crap. I'd use it for the toilet paper, but it's just, it's not suitable. Well, it depends on how long the lockdown goes, Chick. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, <laughs> when you think about next run at Woolies, I'm going to keep you on the bail. Yeah. Thanks, guys. 
bit of recycling. No, well, it's another. It's, maybe it's another, another renewable, you know, another renewable output from the wool industry. So, in terms of you, you mentioned before, and, and and this is an interesting. An interest of me is 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 money, yeah, because mainly I'm a tight arse, really, and you know, people people talk about stereotypes and Scottish people and like stereotypes aren't nice you know nobody likes those stereotypes of the you know the french surrendering or you know australians being on coof or any of those type of ones but scottish people quite like the stereotype of being tight arses we actually build upon it we're probably not as tight as actually we are but wool is expensive yeah and like if we're completely honest, if we go to a shop and, and yeah. you buy a woolen product, it is yeah. not something that is actually available to the the average Joe. Yep. Like it's 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 an expensive product. And you mentioned, you know, Italian woolen suits. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest as well. For the last 18 months, most people have been wearing joggers mm-hmm. to, to, to work, you know, joggers and, and t-shirts and yep. Um, nobody's really been buying suits. Like even even TM Lewin in Australia has gone into administration, which they they sold woolen suits, I think, as well. So they sold beautiful suits, jackets, lovely shirts. Great, great company in Savile Row. Fantastic, company. fantastic British company. Yep, great company. Um, but it's it's obviously folded, and and a lot of the the sort of the department stores around the world have struggled in recent times because people aren't buying suits. And, you know, Matt and I have been we've been in operation for a year, and in between lockdowns we went to events, but it's been few and far between. But what is the next market for Australian wool if mm. if people aren't buying suits and mm. and and whatnot? Is it is it? Is, is there it's, that active, it's that active, active wear, isn't it? That's the, that's the big growing one and where the Merino um, product is making a, a huge kind of surge. If you look at some of the stuff the New Zealanders are doing. What do you know their, about active wear, Matt? <laughs> have, a, have a look at me, mate. It's obvious just by looking at me that I'm a highly active individual, Andrew. You're looking good, mate. Matt, looking good. <laughs> Guys, it's, it's, uh, you, t- you touch on some important points that if you're going to keep investing with like the Italian suit industry, you're diminishing your market presence. And our viewpoint is, well, we've got to go for volume. We've got to go for big 19, 20, 21 wool cutters that produce six, seven kilos a head a year. That's where the profit is. And where do we put that? Well, it's, it's obviously in casual sportswear, casual jumpers, knitwear, clo- uh, sportswear, as you said, obviously carpets, furnishings. But we've got to get back to volume again. And just that's been my main bugbear with this silly approach to gold wool mark and the fashion catwalks. You know, it's all great for directors to fly to Paris and have a weekend piss up watching slinky things walk up or down a catwalk wearing virtually no wool at all. Sounds sounds actually okay. Actually, I withdraw that. Actually, not a bad thing. Let's go. Where, where do we where do we start getting our votes in for uh, an, Andrew and Matt on the board? Yeah, that's, that's why I'm peeved. I'm not invited to the truth, but I've been to all that before, and it's we tried fashion catwalks. And the thing about being fashionable is that it goes in and out. And we tried to have conversations with the guys on the board. You've got to make wool essential, not fashionable. You've got to make it so you're wearing it when you are hiking. You, are, you have got merino socks on. You have got furnishings in your home that is that, like wool carpets, for instance. How can you beat it? You've got kids who've got allergies. Put in a wool carpet. 
And so that's the discussion has got to be about everyday use. We looked at casualization in 2010. We had Brown Millard, one of the biggest companies in the world, say, guys, you have to get involved in casualization. Kids are not wearing suits anymore. The best you can hope for is a pair of jeans, some RMs, and a nice sports jacket. At that point you make though too around the, the wool and the and the and the furnishing fabrics, you know, whether it's curtains or other, you know, um, furnishings. Kilts. I've got it. I've got kilts. it. Get everyone back into kilts. Lots <laughs> non scratchy kilts. Now the um, I've spent some time, uh, obviously, as most regional and rural people do, check it with the CFA. And I remember a lot of the the fire retardant principles of right. um, of wool in those in those household apparel items. You know, right. whether it's furniture or carpet or whatever drapes. Um, and the you know, if you do, if you're unfortunate enough to be in a circumstance, and we're seeing parts of Europe that are that are going up in flames regularly on the evening news now. Um, yep. So it kind of ties into that climate change argument as well. But, but yeah, the, the, um, the time it takes for a for natural wool fibre um, apparel type product to, to catch and burn is, is significantly longer mm-hmm. uh, than what it is for a lot of these other alternative, um, you know, um, man-made products that we've got in most of the households that are quite toxic. So, you know, there's that aspect of it as well, that it's, um, it's not just a good environmental thing. It's a, it's a much safer uh, product to use uh, within, on yourself and within your household as well. Well, the question is, guys, if wool is so good, why isn't it doing so much better? And it really is a question while we're here. But it... Is it a case that it's just too? It's the it's the perception, right? Like, I think I think we're just focused on the wrong area. We have not focused on climate change. We have not focused on kids and sitting at home with a jumper on. Like we put up a, a project in two thousand and nine. We've got the Euro Agency to come on board and say, guys, what should we do for the states, the biggest market, which we haven't addressed? There's no presence of Australian wool in America virtually at all, except for one small program with American basketballers. And they came back and said, guys, Jimmy Carter talked about turning down the heat of putting on a sweater. Why don't you guys just take that campaign? They're like, oh, my God, why don't we just take it? And of course, the old wool growers on the board said, oh, it's just fucking, sorry, it's just climate change. They're not going to get involved in that bullshit. It's like, guys, it's just such a walk-up start for us. Go yeah. and spend 30 bucks on a wool jumper and turn your heater down. Now, who's not going to get that? That would, that would work in Scotland, guarantee it. Save money and but that, that uh, project that program is still there. And that's one thing I did going there. Re-engage with consumers on you can buy a merino jumper in God near Harris now for 30 quid. Like I think that's, well you get merino now in what's is do we have little or Aldi? Which is one we have here? Aldi. Aldi. You quite often will see it's the only place I actually see merino. Actually, advertise they quite often have merino thermal wear, mm. and it's one of the few places where you actually see like the merino big bold letters this is merino, and it's pretty cheap. I actually I've got some of it that I use when I'm you know playing ice hockey and whatnot, yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's good, but you don't actually see merino advertised. It's like this, guys. Well. we've been trying to push the fashion industries like saying, please take our wool, okay. That's what's been the approach for the last 10 years. My viewpoint is we've just got to let consumers know how good this is. Get the likes of Prince Charles, the Royal Family, Greta Thunberg on board. Consumers will start demanding it. Fashion houses will have to take the product. We're virtually begging them with this $200,000 gold Walmart prize for a person who pulls a bit of wool on their fashion line. I, mean, I just don't see that as sustainable. 
give, give an example, yeah. And this, this this goes back to what we mentioned, what you mentioned at the start is is with Greta, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was quite surprised that she had put that tweet up because you know you you sort of have this view that you know that sort of part of society is is anti-wool and whatnot, uh, or anti-agriculture. But this, but he also mentioned R.M. Williams, yeah. Mm. And look, every, everybody's got a pair of R.M. Williams in Australian agriculture. It's synonymous with it, and synonymous with business in Australia, really. And I always find it quite surprising because you see on a plane, everyone's got Iron Williams on and they are expensive. You know, when you compare, you, can, you compare a pair of Iron Williams, what are they? $600 now, give or take. And I think I bought mine's brand new 10 years ago for 450. And you sort of got to think to yourself, well, that's the same idea we want to have with wool is that, okay, it's a little bit more expensive. However, it's going to last you 20 years or 15 years 10 years and it's not just a case of you know a cheapo you know piece of polyester which is going to fall apart and it, you're going to get rid of it and maybe and maybe that is where where the marketing has to be focused on it's not the fashion houses like you say mm. but actually on the consumer to get the consumer to demand slow it's fashion the, the difference between being fashionable and being stylish andrew uh wool stylish isn't it you know and uh Everything no, else. Well, the biggest marks found, guys, biggest marks we found was daughters using dad's old jumpers. Daughters would go and get dad's old jumper from 20 years ago and wear it around the house at watching telly at night. Like these wonderful things that are still there 20, 30 years later. And daughters would wear it to parties with jeans. That was dad's jumper. Well, maybe that's maybe that's the sort of remember they used to have a uh, the fashion back. You know, I, I do know a lot about fashion actually, but they, they had they had a fashion back like 10, 15 years ago for boyfriend shirt, I think it was called. So the the girl would wear the shirt, which was not clearly not their boyfriend's, but it was sized as their boyfriend's size. You know, so they'd wear it with a pair of tights and a belt around it. This, don't look at me blankly. This is a. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very, very eighties. I didn't think you were alive, Andrew. I, I was alive there, uh, but no. This was this was the two thousands. There was, you know, they'd wear you know a big oversized shirt, and it was it was dad's shirts. This is this is a thing, but maybe that's what we need to do is is, is set up a thing of uh, yeah, dad's jumpers. Is, wool, wool is very. It's a really cool product, you know. It is. It's been there for ten thousand years since we domesticated sheep. Like it's got. It's so versatile that it can it can clothe us. It, it's it's wonderful to eat. It's got everything going for it. And yet, the biggest mistake is to let wool growers determine their future as far as marketing research going. Because there's five million prime ministers in the wool industry. You know, everyone's everyone's well educated. They've got a good idea where we should go. None of it's any good because. They don't employ science. They don't employ marketing specialists. They don't do all the research you need as a business person would do. That's not saying they're, they're bad people or making particularly bad decisions. Everybody thinks that they know it's best because they're so passionate about their product. And you're seeing people now with their wool developing their own brands because they're so desperate to get the price of their wool up. It's a very sad situation when that's what's got to happen when you're paying so much levy. You've actually got to go pay the levy then develop your own brand yourself and most of them fail well i guess i guess that comes down to specialization yeah you know, you know australia was set up as a colony to produce raw fiber the british set us up to produce wool 
and produce beef and send it back home to Europe. That's why we're set up. They set up tobacco and they set up cotton in, in America to do the same. We are a commodity-based nation. We've never been really able to evaluate. And that's probably, a, I don't know how we address that because our labour is too expensive here to, to evaluate here. And China can do it for half the price, but you, you've got to realise we're lucky to have them as a customer. So everything, everything is in place for, for a great win. We just haven't seemed to push the final green for go button. But it's not, but it, but it also, like value, I, I don't think value adding in terms of production will be all that successful in Australia. Just again, like you say, labor and, and, and costs, but it's the fashion and it's, it's the ability to actually, you don't have to do it all here. You just have to create the product and then the, or the idea here. And I guess, I guess when you think about it, it will, it's about perception. Like, and I'm talking about myself from a point of view of, of a consumer and the farmer farmer has got a passion wool producer has got a fashion, passion for that product but they're not necessarily a consumer and so that's why you need to farm out farm the ideas about what is fashionable to experts you know likes of myself who, who, who understand fashion and you know and, and I think Australia is actually, I, I would actually think if, if you talk about timing yeah, for, for Australian wool, just now is the ideal timing for Australian wool, the next 10 years. Mm. If you think about things mm. like Australians are, you know, they pull their weight when it comes to celebrity, you know, far higher than Scotland even, and that's saying a lot. But you've got, you've got, I don't even know that many celebrities. You've got Margot Robbie. You know, mm. you know you've got... Hugh Jackman. Hemsworth. Hemsworth. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Hugh Jackman. Jackman. And Hugh Jackman's done a fantastic job. With, We've got so many with, celebrities we can push some away like Mel Gibson and say they're American now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Minogues. You know, you've got, you've, got, you've got a whole bunch of celebrities that can endorse products and... And, and that's where, where Australia could, could go down, is those celebrity endorsements. But, but like you said, I don't really see what value there is. And it's just my personal viewpoint of an obscure sort of fashion runway, which the product isn't actually available to the average consumer. And that's right. You're talking about a $10,000 dress. You've got to be kidding yourself. It's like, it's like advertising Rolls Royce. We love looking at it. It's a beautiful piece of work, but who can afford it? Yeah. We, guys, but there are things that we're talking to the government about now. I do, I do think David Littleproud gets this. He's one of the Nats, I do believe, gets the idea of making money out of climate change or agriculture. And we, we've approached government years ago and said, guys, what about, this, what about this notion? A five kilo wool fleece contains 2.5 kilos of pure carbon, atmospheric carbon. What is the difference between that and a forest in real world terms? And there's, there's no difference. It, it probably grows back quicker than the tree does as well. With less, with less, with, with, and we can make money out of it quicker too. So with the current accounting, current accounting rules, we're trying to work through with the clean energy regulator. We really need to rocket up their ass, if you ask me, as far as bureaucracy and red tape. If you take the sheep block of 70 million now, and stop it there for a year and do our carbon accounting right now and say we now produce X amount of kilos of wool. Of that, there is 50% pure carbon. Every kilo over that of fleece you 
produces an extra half a kilo of carbon. That is actually claimable under UN standards. If we get our act together now as an industry. Another, and it's another output. Another output, and and we can actually reduce Australia's net emissions by more sheep we have. But of course, a clean energy regulator have had their usual dose of hallucinogenic mushrooms every day. What do they do to come up with their rules? But, and for but, them, it's a bridge too far to consider that as a possible alternative for the sheep industry. And the other thing as well is, if you think about, there's, there's a lot of question marks at the moment about that sort of carbon sequestration through trees, because obviously it takes away agricultural land, which reduces food production. But also, unfortunately for Australia, we tend to have those big, you know, bushfires, <clears throat> which right. put put that carbon back into the atmosphere, right, as as quickly as, and and. Fingers crossed, touch wood, that doesn't happen with sheep. But but that wool, like you say, it doesn't go back into atmosphere because it stays as its component wool for the next 100 years. Right. So, so yeah, that, that makes sense. So the, the idea, guys, is we're raising it now that wool is a legitimate carbon sink. Will the Australian government recognise that with us? And what have they got to lose? Why wouldn't you? I mean, there's, there's total science to support what we're doing. Mm. Now, that would change the whole fundamental basis of the Australian sheep flock. We go from 70 million back to 140 million in five years if people were paid to farm sheep because of the abilities to sink carbon. So that would be one. Obviously, you're doing that in your own personal capacity at the moment, having those discussions, yeah? We've, I've got companies that are about climate change. We're trying to talk to world governments, uh, UN, FAO, and Australia about. But that would be something that if you were, were to get onto AWI, You'd be looking to see if they hundred percent, hundred percent back on board with climate change, and we'll, that becomes our main focus. How, how is the how is the kind of project the AWI kind of um, process going this year? Then you're in the stage where you're collecting connecting uh, signatures, connecting signatures. So, yep. have you got an approximate idea of what you've got and what you need now? Um, no idea. Okay. No idea. I've got guys out collecting as we speak. I've had to promise a case of beer for every ten signatures collected. That usually helps. That's a lot of work, you know. You've got to drive up a country road, you've got to knock on a farmer's door, you've got to collect a signature, then you go, we'll drive out and do it again. And it really, they set a Herculean task of trying to get. But you've got to get 100 signatures, is that right? That's what that's 100 registered signatures. There's 60,000 wool growers, only 29,000 are registered to vote. So it's, it's, a, it's an onerous task. And, you, and it has to be old school physical signatures can't be online signatures that type of stuff i've got an app coming it's taken two years to develop that means it'll probably take another 10 years for a we actually develops the app that works i know i'm being pessimistic but it's just history well you know they can maybe add it into the will queue app uh, but the other thing is well we haven't spoke about this is your art hmm. what what influences your artwork and if a lot if, if people are listening as well have a, have a look at Chick's Twitter account. He's got some fantastic... What would you clash your art? You, you have a bit of a mix between sort of mm. landscape and more sort of abstract stuff. What, what, what inspires you when, you when you're doing artwork? Well, I think that you know, as you hit 55 and midlife crisis hits a lot of people, you have to find an outlet. I'm not very much into taking drugs, so I try and find natural remedies for times. You know, when times get difficult, you've got to find outlets. And... Uh, Painting is one of those things that you can really throw yourself into because you have got some me time. And it seems to me these days that we've all, we've forgotten about being a little bit selfish about taking care of it yourself. Uh, 
I'm not sure how old you, you men are, but you know, if you've got a family and a job, it's there's it's relentless. It never stops until the kids are out of the house. And then and then you probably might get ill when you're 55 or 60, and then you've got to contend with that. And so you've got to find outlets. And for me, painting was has been a wonderful outlet because you've got three hours by yourself and you've got music and you you can do what you like. There's no rules. And, yeah. and then you meet other artists and then you, then you start appreciating the great artists of the world of how wonderful their concepts are. And then you find this particular joy in this, where, do, where does it come from? Where do these great ideas and concepts come from? Someone to record them on a canvas or on a sheet of music or in a book. You know, it's the great thing about humanity. We've, we leave these things behind. And so you paint because it's, who knows where it comes from. It comes from somewhere we're not sure, but you look at it and you think, oh, my God, how did I paint? Like when I, I got sick about a year ago, pretty sick, and had a pretty big operation. And um, I was on morphine and two other painkillers for two months in my recovery, and that's when I painted my best paintings. <laughs> well, I cannot uh, believe the shit I painted, and I still don't know how I did it. Like it was well, just freaky shit that I painted. And it's, I, had, I sent it to friends uh, in London who, who wanted straight away some of these pieces because they, went, they could connect with it. So obviously there's drug abuse going on in London as well. Well, it's, it's <laughs> if, if, if you look at a lot of artists, I'm, I'm, I'm not stereotyping again, but I, but I do know like my, my family sort of, we know quite a lot of people in the arts community and back in, in Scotland. And, and there was a tendency for, you know, some of those better artists to be uh, imbibing of, 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 of other natural products. Mm. And, and, you know, it does get the, creative juices flowing i guess so to speak you know? so you're an artist sorts yourself andrew really when it comes down to it no i'm, I'm a i'm a i'm a fashionista not an artist i was talking more what, what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> well i wasn't going to let you open for that one i no, i i consider we, we've mentioned this before we consider ourselves to be creatives of 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 a sort we we, we create analysis and we create Charts and I mean, chart, was, chart artistry. We, we, are, we are chartists. <laughs> yeah. uh, but 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 no. Like the reality is that I, I still think being an analyst is. And this sounds really wanky, but but I think it's it's a combination of experience and knowledge, analytical knowledge, or analytical ability, but also creativity. Like I think you have to be able. There is a certain element of creativity that requires you to think outside the box as they say but but it does require, require that creativity so i think what we do is is creative to an extent and it's and it's visual and it's visual in the visual yeah. mean yeah so. it takes many forms because i've seen presentations by university professors who understand their audience and they craft a message on a slide which is so amazingly evocative that you've got the whole you've got the whole audience captured with the idea of a proposition and that's artistic you can we, bore the shit out of them, or you can, or you can entertain them. That's that's look, that's that's what we do as well. We've we've had, you know, plenty of our audiences when we've presented speechless, um, <laughs> and bored shitless, and bored shitless. <laughs> but uh, so it's, you know, that that's a form of art. That's that's performance art, Matt. You know, this this is art. So, but chick, it's like it's been great having you on. Like, like, I guess from our point of view, we we are quite occasionally we 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 we're outspoken, and and we like to have an opinion, and we like people who 
who don't politic and don't sort of hide behind their views. So it's great to have you on <laughs> and have, 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 have a chat. I want to apologise, everybody. If I offended you, I want to apologise unreservedly now. Don't come at me later on. I've apologised. It's over. Let it go. And uh, <laughs> and also, and also, Chick will buy you a case of beer if you sign this form. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but but the reality is, like, I've after having a conversation with you, I think I'm going to sign up also to run for the board, <laughs> uh, just so I can get a few trips back to London and Paris. Yep. Uh, but I, but I do have some solutions. You know, I've noted down some some solutions to the industry going forward. Um, we're going to bring back dad style, which yep. I'm pretty happy with because it means I'll be quite fashionable continued. Uh, we're going to work on slow fashion as opposed to fast fashion, uh-huh. which is good for me because I've, most of my clothes I've kept for the last 20 years. Um, and we're going to bring back kilts as a fashion statement. So, so maybe we need to get the Bay City rollers in and, and bring back tartan and kilts as a fashion statement. And I, I'm, I'm all up for that because I've had my kilt, which was expensive. I mean, my kilt was $1,000, I would say. And I've had that for 10 years with a couple of adjustments to the waistband. But it is, it is again, it's, if, 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 if everyone in the world started wearing kilts, it's like you say, we wouldn't have enough wool left. Do you know how universally you... How much utility is in a, in a kilt? You're at, the pub, you're at the pub when you're younger and, you know, the opportunity presents itself, mate. You are five minutes ahead of anyone else. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you what, like, I, I, like I'm, I'm a big believer in the, in the Me Too movement <clears throat> and, and whatnot. But it, and I can understand. Any man who's worn a kilt near a hen night... Oh will understand the, the, the issues that women have to go through on a day-to-day basis. Like, and, 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 and you think, like it's, you think it might be funny for, for a woman to grab your pieces uh, while she's wearing a kilt, but it's actually quite disconcerting. And also the number of men who grab your bits to, to check whether you are a true Scotsman or not. So that's a complete, on that note. Memories, mate, memories. <laughs> Good memories. On, on that note, uh, we'll, we'll bring back the kilt and then we'll have solved all the woes of the wool industry. So, yep, yeah, again, thanks for coming along. Thanks for taking the time out. Thank you, and, gents. Pleasure to meet you. Thanks very much for the chat. It's been very enjoyable. Thank you. And, uh, and look, enjoy lockdown um, and we'll, we'll see how your art goes over that time. It might, it might slowly go from being nice and colourful to be darker and darker as the as the weeks progress uh, so that'll be an interesting one to view all right thank you good luck with the good luck with the nomination hopefully as well for you and you can make the changes that you want to make and um yeah thanks for listening uh, uh listeners but hopefully this time your nominations don't become a subject of a senate inquiry <laughs> and <laughs> we'll see we'll see thank you guys appreciate it very much Ciao for now. Safe travels. See you when you got nothing on. Cheers. See you guys. (laughs) 